Hey guys, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Lawyer, did you see that um, the trailer for the for the killer whales? You see that? Because I saw, I yeah, I saw you engaged. Well, it looks, uh, yeah, you're 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 looking badass on that, Mary. The production, like you're. Uh... I always look badass, but I appreciate a compliment, boy. <laughs> not, the, the production quality is impressive, though. Is uh, and they've created so much hype for it. Yeah, I was surprised. It looks like you guys are really like you, you could be like you're taking on the 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 name that I won't mention. The, I don't know if that show's still around anymore, but like it looks like it's as high quality as what you'd expect to see on you know network television. Are you talking about are you talking about Shark Tank or another show? Yeah, that's the one. I, that's uh, the one. There was another one too, Dragons Den. Oh, the I mean, Shark one, Tank was yeah. the better one, I think, of the two. Yeah, no, Dragons yeah. Den was relatively boring. Dragons Den was the British and Canadian one. I've seen. I used to be obsessed with Shark Tank and Dragons Den years and years ago, but Dragons Den is relatively boring. A bit more value based, like it's more 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 interesting, more realistic. Shark Tank was more entertaining. <laughs> I, I prefer the entertaining one. But yeah, they. they uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd watch Cuban now though. Yeah, Cuban. Uh, we should get Cuban on, on this one. Uh, but maybe in the bull yeah. market. In the bull market, everyone cares. In the bear market, I, I made a post. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the news as well. There was uh, apparently Andrew Tate, who you know I, I like Andrew. I like his team. You know, I've talked a lot to his team. He's been on my show. But he he was looking at launching a coin, and he used to shit on crypto for a long time. So I made a post saying, in a bull market, everyone cares. It's not only Andrew. Everyone cares about crypto in the bear market. Everyone starts. Even people in crypto start to criticize crypto. It's like the same thing. Uh, time and time again it's almost like a cycle it is it is it's the same cycle uh, same same what is it what did i say same shit same shit different cycle but i think with the with the when this show when the bull market kicks in i think there'll be more uh high profile names that would kind of come in as judges which uh, should be fun but yeah it should be if anyone listening there is uh let me probably pin it um there is i think there's i put my pin my tweet and there's a tag there and you could check them out that's the killer whales show it's a reality show that was filmed in la about we filmed it whenever the mutiny happens it was literally the day two days or a day after the mutiny the day after hours after the mutiny i took a flight to la to go film it so if the mutiny if the russian mutiny took longer i might have missed uh, the filming but uh, you should definitely check it out everyone i think it's gonna be a, a killer show i've seen the first the preview of i think i've seen no i've seen the entire first episode and it's uh it beat my expectations so uh, congratulations to the team there but uh, I'm going to kick it off, uh, Dennis and Ron. It's a pleasure to have you both because I will talk about a bit about regulation today and uh, good to have Zach and, and William here as well. But uh, before kicking that off, Jason, how are you? Jason, you there? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Hannah. I'm just driving along at the moment, so it takes me a second to get to the mic. All is well. How's oh, it going? Good, good, mate. Good. I uh, just want to get kick it off with uh, you know getting your thoughts on the market. It's been a while we haven't had you on the show. Um, just getting your thoughts on the market, you know, what, you know, the halving coming in, the the problems, the, the the troubles we're seeing in China, and equities you're seeing all-time records. I uh, would love to get your thoughts on what we could expect in crypto over the next few days and weeks, or not days and weeks, over the next few weeks and months. <laughs> it's hard enough doing a few hours in crypto. <laughs> exactly. isn't it? Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, I mainly follow the Bitcoin uh, story more than anything else, and uh, you know, the, the, the whole the thing right now, of course, is the ETFs. That's the main narrative that's stealing everything pretty much and uh, overriding um, all, all other considerations. Uh, obviously, we've got uh, this uh, this ruling on Friday about this uh, the, the, the Grayscale ruling 
um, with this extra potential sell pressure, though this could be interesting to see how this is going to unfold. Um, none of us know, of course, at the moment so, exactly so what, what's what, going to happen. What ruling, you, what ruling you're referring to? Sorry, I must have missed it. Go ahead. This is the uh, the the sale sell uh, pressure on Friday. I only just read the details this morning. I've been somewhat distracted, I have to be honest, by the um, the Craig Wright case, which I've been following live um, on because uh, <laughs> the trial's happening right now. So um, it's quite interesting to watch. Um, so this was the uh, uh, sorry, not FTX. It was uh, Genesis. So um, someone probably out there has listened to this and got the detail better than me, because I say I'm driving right now, so I can't look at the numbers. But there is uh, considerable uh, potential sell pressure here. So uh, the, the effect of that is going to be interesting. I think it's one point six billion dollars. Can someone is there someone here? Who yeah, we've got, we got, we got Zach Lloyd and Preston or maybe Dennis. Anyone else could offer more context on this? No, I think no one's been following the story. I'll check it out. And yeah, uh, I mean, like, I only, I don't have the numbers, but I've got like a tacit understanding of what's going on with you know he's he's got to sort of finally prove that he's Satoshi, which is going to be tough, I think. But so, so what's the? Can you just give us? So hold on. So he has to prove that Craig Wright. For anyone that's relatively new in crypto, Craig Wright is a pretty controversial figure. Um, he claims to be Satoshi. I, I can probably say that most people disagree with this. Uh, uh, with a statement, but uh, maybe Lloyd, give us a quick overview of what what decision we're expecting over the next few days. Yeah, so I know there's a trial going on, and I know that I only know generally that he's been sort of going around suing everybody for using and changing his software and for claiming that he, any, you know, anything he can do that tries to attract some sort of settlement on the basis that he is Satoshi. Um, everybody knows that he's not. Um, I'd be willing to bet everything that I have that he's not. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but I think, you know, this put up or shut up. Um, will be nice to see. I, I unfortunately don't have more detail about what exactly it looks like in, in the case right now. Well, I can tell you it's live now. Um, I've got uh, been given uh, court access to, to the live link. Uh, and I've been, uh, you know, I was supposed to dip in and have it on in the background, but it's become like a, a Netflix series that you can't stop binge watching. Um, so it's quite an incredible thing to see. But yeah, the, the, the basic principle is that Satoshi's kind of, uh, sorry, God, that's a terrible slip. Craig Wright has kind of put himself into a bit of a corner here because he's been using the law backed by Calvin Iyer, you know, his billions to threaten anyone who uses the Bitcoin white paper or his intellectual property, you know, the whole Bitcoin um, uh, you know, system, essentially, he claims is his. And all the way through, he's been able to crush people with this uh, vast financial backing he has. But this time he's got a problem because he actually has to now prove he is Satoshi. And that's the kind of twist here. And of course, this is extraordinarily difficult for anyone to do, but especially Craig Wright, because it turns out all the evidence he submitted to court is in fact um, has in fact been manipulated and even his own side agrees this as well so we're now in a rather bizarre situation where this trial is starting today actually starts today in london um and uh, he has now got really no documentation to rely on whatsoever and really no witnesses um so it is a bizarre situation always as bizarre as the offer he made via the Times, that's the UK Times last week, where we offered to settle out of court to COPA um, by uh, saying that he would grant a license in perpetuity um, for the Bitcoin protocol if everyone agreed that he was Satoshi. 
I'm not making this up. You haven't seen this. It's just incredible. This is going to make an amazing film. But that's where we are right now. I strongly recommend keeping an eye on this, guys, because it's fascinating. Yeah, so, uh, and before going to um, uh, premise, just get uh, your first premise, first time on stage, uh, general market update. David, Joe, maybe you, David, uh, actually Joe as well. I think you both could come up and discuss the China situation as well to give us a bit more insight into this and whether we should be worried. You know, we're seeing equities. Uh, come up with the, the figure is a, a big chunk of the, the top stocks uh, uh, trading was halted today. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, but if you can come on, just give us a quick overview there. But premise, um, just give us an update on uh, how the charts are looking and what we'd expect to see. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me up here, Mario. Uh, love a chance to come up here. I hope everyone's doing all right. You know, Bitcoin opened the year 42, so that's kind of what we're watching. You know, above 42, you're good. Below it, you got to sweep yearly low. So, you know, that's kind of the way you got to look at it. I think the most important thing is the on-chain metrics. Uh, Solana's been booming. Every time I check on-chain metrics with Solana every day, 24-hour volume NFTs up 66%. I think about 60 80% today. So a lot of people see price and they're hating it, but on-chain metrics are flying. You're seeing a lot of activity on chain. I can't wait till we get better metrics to determine which blockchains are best based off those type of transactions versus, hey, where's price today? So I like the market, man. I know a lot of people are scared. Everyone says Bitcoin go to 400K, but they're scared because it drops 4 or 5K. I mean, what are we doing, guys? We've been in this market for a while now. So yeah, above 42, you're good to go. But you see, we're dancing right on that level. So do not get it twisted. This is a key level. You leave this and you reject 42, I think we're puking and sweeping that yearly low, though. That'd be the next target. And what, what do you expect to see in the next few few months prior to the halving and post-halving? Um, you're going to see, I was watching Rand's show. He's talking about a consolidation period. Again, I'm not a charts guy and, and, and you know, predicting what the markets will do is probably one of my biggest weaknesses. He's talking about consolidation at, during that period. You wouldn't expect, you know, obviously the market is pretty much steady. Uh, but you'd expect certain tokens to do well based on different narratives. Um, what can we expect when it comes to Bitcoin and altcoins over the next few months? Well, you know, you got the Chinese New Year coming up, man. That's big. Uh, Asia is huge when it comes to trading volume. So that's why I could see that little sweep if we were to do a sell-off. But I, I'm like, come on, it's having guys. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a massive, massive uh, spike once they come back here. The dragon, I think Asia is going to pound it. I think America is going to pound it. So I'm not too worried. I think you could see that sell-off from Chinese New Year. Other than that, this looks more like a broadening channel. Anyone who trades, if you look at Bitcoin, you zoom out. This is the exact same move we did last January, February. A broadening channel. You make higher highs and lower lows so i call it the fu pattern right because everyone's thinking oh it's the new high i'll short here and it makes a new high and takes your stop then it makes a new low and takes that stop and no one knows what's happening until it rips up but it is a bullish continuation form from what i see from here which fits the perfect narrative of you go on chinese new year you come back yeah. and we send this thing talking about chinese new year david joa thanks for coming up uh david how worried should we be uh, so right now, uh, we're not in full panic mode, uh, but certainly concerning. I mean, clearly, there is substantial weakness in the Chinese markets. Um, China essentially suspended trading um, in its lesser important equities. Uh, shorting restrictions exist. Um, we've seen things like this before, uh, but certainly not at times of peace and tranquility. Um, so there, there's there's clearly problems in China. Uh, you've got two of the three largest property developers in the country in liquidation, effectively, in terms of Country Garden and Evergrande. Um, you've got numbers out of China that in terms of unemployment, certainly amongst the youth, 
uh, that we no longer know of because, or the exact statistics currently because they're so bad. Um, and the, 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 the Evergrande and Country Garden spillover uh, falls into banks there and institutional investors there. Uh, there's going to be shoring up of liquidity there, uh, stimulus that will come in exactly what form we don't know. Uh, there was a report out about a week and a half ago that offshore holdings of China-controlled state companies was going to be used to buy equities uh, in the Chinese market, so effectively propping up their market. Um, you know, anything is possible if China wants to go ahead and take out a bazooka in order to go ahead and throw liquidity at their market. But clearly, there's problems there. Uh, it's not at the highest level of concern. As I said, we're talking about lesser um, important companies than the, the, the you know, the lo- hundred largest Chinese companies. Uh, but nevertheless, there, there is there is reason for concern. I would have thought um, that you know Bitcoin would react very positively off this. It had a good morning um, early on, but now um, it's it started to wane, and maybe that's uh, in sympathy with the broader markets uh, here in the U.S. You had Powell on sixty Minutes last night uh, talking about the U.S. economy. Um, you know, he made it very clear uh, that we're not getting a recut uh, here bef- in March, uh, but certainly it seems like we're going to get recuts uh, in the second half of the year. There are uh, a minority of Fed members uh, that do not want to cut at all in 2024, but it seems the majority overwhelmingly wants want to go ahead and make more than one cut. Um, Powell raised concerns about the long-term balance sheet of the United States, the, you know, the deficit, uh, that's not really his area of expertise or, or sorry, not, it's not his area of effectiveness. He needs lawmakers to go ahead and make a difference there. So I think he was going ahead and, and calling out Congress in front of a national audience to go ahead and start to get their act together because it's going to become a great problem uh, for a generation or two from now. Uh, but in terms of the market, um, you know, it seems like w- th- this market, this stock market is in a very good place, poised to go higher, um, even if uh, if Biden gets reelected and if Trump gets elected, I expect that Trump will do things that will make this market go even higher uh, than it would under Biden. Uh, the only kind of dark spot in the U.S. economy right now uh, seems to be uh, commercial real estate, office space, you know, higher rates, anything interest rate sensitive where it seems that interest rates are going to remain higher for longer in the real estate industry. Um, you know, the, the saying now is stay alive till 25, uh, because people think that by 2025, rates should start to come down and we'll start to see a thaw in the real estate market, commercial real estate, office space, even housing um, will start to trade, trade hands more readily. Um, if there are cracks in those markets before then and there's forced selling, uh, then we will go ahead and see you know, more disruption, uh, more messy restructurings uh, of those balance sheets. Oh, the last thing uh, I'll go ahead and, and mention is the uh, is what has happened at New York Commercial Bank and just the concern around the real estate holdings uh, of small and regional banks and maybe consolidation and restructurings that need to go on there. 
Powell at this point, at least with respect to his comments on 60 Minutes, and I generally agree, I don't think any of that, the real estate issue, the interest rate issue, uh, is going to cause uh, a crisis in this country of, of, of any stretch. I think all of those losses will be taken in stride um, because of, you know, I, I think generally otherwise a very unlevered uh, market right now. And so therefore, uh, those those losses, although be at large, uh, will be absorbed. Hey, Joe, David, you did say of... something. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, there, you did say something that, that uh, I don't understand. So I just want to get behind your thinking. You said that although the, the halting of like 30% of the, the Shanghai index um, happened, you expected Bitcoin to rip just to bring it back to crypto. Why would you expect Bitcoin to rip? Because if this happened in the US, I would expect there to be initially a dip before before it went up. Oh, I mean, I'm talking about the narrative on Bitcoin that it's 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 digital gold flight to safety, you know, ownerless, permissionless, you know, not controlled by a sovereign. I mean, this shows China, China's weakness right now shows the weakness uh, of sovereigns that have human beings, you know, running those countries. Um, and so therefore, you know, I, 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 there, there should be considerable weakness in the Chinese yuan. Um, and therefore, I believe the corollary to that is that there's strength uh, in things that are not controlled by sovereigns. And just to, just for the audience, Joe, I want to get your thoughts on China. So we've got um, the CSA 1000 is down 8% today. It's down about 30-something percent in, the, in January so far. And uh, over, or not so far, in January, so last month. And over the last month, it dropped by exactly 21%. And that's despite the uh, various measures um, to to uh, to ban short selling. You've also got everyone getting liquidated as well. Joe, before before you you, you respond, I, I assume your point is there's so much Bitcoin holding in China that there is selling going on by Chinese holders. Is that is that your point? Yeah, I mean, if they're scared, they're going to, you know, they, I agree with that. They could flee yeah. to Bitcoin. Yeah. There's four. Initially, I, I would expect a downturn before an upturn. Yeah, no, no. I, I listen. Then, 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 I totally agree with you. You know, if the weakness here is based on of is based on Chinese investors liquidating what they can because they can't sell their stocks right now writ large, um, then sure, I, I'm. I, I we we should all be distressed buyers. Those are forced sellers. And frankly, you know, that's a technical correction that's going on and we should rebound. So this is a good opportunity, you know, based on that, you know, explanation, it's a good opportunity to go ahead and, and average down and accumulate. Yeah, I mean, my big worry, Mario, with this with this is, are we, is this a foretelling of what will happen with U.S. commercial real estate? And I think, I do think that is a risk. Um, and I think it would impact us, uh, but it would be, if whether it happens in China or happens in the U.S., I, I do think short term it would be negative. But you know the cycle is the cycle, and and people will look at Bitcoin like a uh, a store of value in a way to escape the system, as we're seeing that that change happen over the last year year and a half. Simon, yeah, I was just going to cover like some of the China mining Bitcoin plays, like so. Um, by far, the biggest cryptocurrency in China, from my experience, is Tether. Um, so a lot of people use Tether in China as a way of um, transacting internationally. Um, a lot of people have 
you can't really get an exchange account in China anymore. So a lot of people have um, overseas exchange accounts and they have to VPN in. And a lot of countries kind of play the regulatory arbitrage where they don't see off overseas enforcement of Chinese China Bitcoin laws as a major threat. So a lot of the exchanges were still on board um, China customers. And, and it's a it's a it's a big demographic, but they've obviously you can't the general investing public um in China are very much, you know, the Chinese stock market is very retail driven rather than institutional driven. Um so it tends to be more subject to ebbs and flows and short-termism and volatility um, is what you see. There's still a very buoyant underground Bitcoin mining industry in China uh, where if you can get yourself connected to you know, a, a province or a region where the governor allows you to execute um, or, or continue to do Bitcoin mining, um, then many operators are actually getting access to incredibly cheap electricity um, through through those types of things. But yeah, te- Tether is one of the most um, popular units of account in China with those that are a bit more uh, tech savvy as well. Yeah, and I want to go talking about Bitcoin mining. Not sure if you guys have been keeping up with the, uh, let me open up the article by Coindesk. So the US government seems to be closing in on Bitcoin mining. I'm not sure if you guys saw that piece. So I'll read out the, the first couple of sentences. The US Department of Energy is taking a closer look at Bitcoin mining. So they're wondering whether this is a cause of alarm. So the Energy Information Administration uh, will survey the electricity use of selected US-based miners over the coming six months, starting next week, after putting out, quote, an emergency collection of data requests. So given the phrasing of an, quote, emergency order and the current administration's crypto-critical stance, many are worrying that the information collected will be used to inform potentially harmful policies to the mining industry. Uh, David, Ron, Dennis, uh, Simon as well would love any comments on this. Yeah, th- this is just, it, 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 I, I, I'm going to assume, and I don't think it's a big assumption, that this is politically motivated. Uh, you know, the lawmakers who are not happy about crypto generally have now lost the fight on the Bitcoin ETF. They're probably going to lose the fight on forthcoming ETFs for ETH. And maybe some, you know, they'll, they'll try to, their best to muck up laws relating to, you know, clarity and regulating the crypto industry. And this is just their, you know, further salvo in wasting taxpayer dollars to go ahead. And I, I don't even know what, because at the end of the day, collect all the information you want. You'll spin it one way. The industry is going to spin it another way. There's nothing going to come of this. There's going to be no, I, I don't believe that there's going to be enough support to go ahead and in some, somehow regulate the industry or hurt the industry. Going ahead and pushing Bitcoin mining outside of the United States, frankly, I don't think helps anybody. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's just, this is, this is an awful waste of time and waste of resources um, and, you know, it seems to be incredibly politically driven. Last point, I think there are a number of miners in the United States that are carbon negative. Uh, they only use hydro. Uh, they don't use any, you know, fossil fuels. Again, this is not that that is not what th- this is aimed at. This is aimed at all e- electricity uses. But in any and, and they want to just go ahead and, you know, throw, you know, 
superlatives at the use of the uh, of of energy by the industry, but at the end of the day, I, I really think that this is just inappropriate what they're doing. And can I just? I, I want to go to Simon with this question, but last time I read, I think it was forty five percent of all Bitcoin mining in the U.S. was using green uh, green energy, like David was suggesting. Isn't this just going to be another stain on U.S.'s attempt to to end crypto? Yeah, um, really, really bad idea. Like the the innovation and the industry that's built in Texas is is really quite stunning to watch and grow. Um, you know, they obviously China made a series of bad moves, and America capitalized. And so to to bring out the innovation that's been happening around, like um, you know, the ERCOT grid and being able to really make efficient markets around Bitcoin mining you know, excess electricity um, and being able to, um, you know, get the innovation of where you the Bitcoin mining actually goes to its most efficient rates based upon like an ESG score or, you know, some type of thing. It's actually, it's, yeah, it would be, it would be a really bad move. And I kind of agree that it would just be an attack that, that goes nowhere. It's brought in a lot of um, jobs and industry. Well, do you, when you say um, it go, goes nowhere, hold on. When you say it goes nowhere, you don't think it will have much impact on the markets because the articles got, you know, it, it seems to be pretty. The article's pretty alarming. I was going through it as you're speaking, Simon. So I get your thoughts, Ron and Zach. Uh, you know, how much of an impact do you think this could have on the market? Are we overreacting? I mean, look, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that this is uh, overreacting. This is kind of the first step uh, into making regulations, um, at least within the admin here, to the upside is that at least we're having the agency ask for this information as opposed to, you know, we've seen some agencies, especially the SEC, um, just go with whatever narrative um, is out there in the public space and use that as a rationale for implementing rules. Whereas here, at least they're just more data collection, but obviously that builds off uh, to probably eventual regulation. But is it, but is it, that's what, but Ron, that's what I initially thought, but is it common for them to call it quote, emergency collection of data requests? Why is it so emergency? No, it's not. No, no. I'll say also, like, back to um, David's point earlier, this is very heavily politically motivated. Actually, a year from tomorrow will be a a year ago when Elizabeth Warren, as well as several other more progressive senators and uh, House members, (laughs) sent a letter to the EPA, as well as the Department of Energy, asking them to make this kind of a rule. So this is where it's coming from. And, and, And again, this isn't the first time we've seen Elizabeth Warren's uh, you know, at least the way that she pontificated become kind of the, the norm for the admin, at least with the Biden administration, because she does have a lot of uh, alumni within the administration at all levels. Um, she does a really good job with that. Um, but I will say, yeah, this is definitely politically motivated. We've seen this before with other uh, groups. Uh, I mean, for example, office buildings that had data centers, they did a study on this in 2016. Um, it didn't really lead to like hard rules here, but like this does lead to policy down the road. And it's probably, it's, in this case, not going to be positive, especially how they're framing it. Um, but Dennis also, I know Dennis is heavily engaged in this. Tom Mapes, I see he's one of the listeners here, but he's also one of the guys in DC heavily engaged. So uh, there's, a, there's a decent cohort of folks uh, on the lobbying side, advocacy side, state and federal engaged on this. Yeah, Tom, I'd love you to send a request to come up. We'd love to have you on stage. Dennis, Zach, your thoughts? And more, again, yeah, back to Zach, and the question, like, how much of an impact do you think will have on the industry if it goes down that path? Yeah, for sure. So echoing what a lot of people have said, I think this is politically motivated. This is not just a good faith inquiry into, like, oh, let's understand the energy inputs. Um, 
look, I do think this is an area where there are lots of people doing good work. Um, like I, I work with the Bitcoin Policy Institute. We've been trying to do a lot of work educating uh, legislators about the actual effect that Bitcoin mining has. Uh, and, you know, we've seen that both reflected in a lot of especially Republican lawmakers platforms, but also even in the White House report that came out last year. They mentioned some of the positive impacts that Bitcoin mining can have on stabilizing the grid. And so, you know, I think there is some room for optimism on the policy side when the results come back. But this is actually a much greener economy, and that's a fight we're going to need to have. In terms of the impact on the market, I mean, I think this is like a, a narrative item. I think it's likely to be, you know, a negative narrative item. But the market only reacts to narrative like when it wants to, right? Broader secular narrative. I think in a in a bear market, this could make things worse. In a bull market, this probably doesn't have a big impact. Um, but yeah, you know, you'd expect to see some negative headlines, if not some sort of regulation that that comes uh, out from this. Can I, can I just add something? Yeah, to jump in here. Um, yeah. So, uh, sorry, Snake, I just add something to that. Yeah, so I think um, two people are speaking at the Go same on. time. Um, I think, Dennis, you were going first. Jason, I don't think you can hear Dennis. So I'm going to bring you down, Jason, and bring you back up. Uh, Dennis, no go problem. ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, let's just be very clear that everything in Washington, D.C. is politically motivated to some degree or another. Um, you know, we are very interested in this topic of you know, what's going on with the EIA and this, this emergency request for information uh, simply for the fact that, you know, we are – you know, when we launched Satoshi Action Fund, we launched as the premier Bitcoin mining advocacy organization. There really is no other organization on the planet that has been fighting harder or doing more for Bitcoin miners in the United States than Satoshi Action. And I say that with, a, with confidence and a sense of pride. You know, Satoshi Action, we've been going around the country passing laws to protect Bitcoin mining. In fact, our laws have actually ended uh, up protecting Bitcoin miners in federal court. And so we're very concerned about this emergency order. You know, that being said, there's a lot of people running around kind of saying like, oh, my gosh, this is like just so out of out of norm that we need to be doing everything to oppose it, that we should dump all of our resources into lawsuits. Um, you know, maybe maybe those people um, should should do that. Maybe that's uh, in their in their best interest to do that. But for us as a Toshi Action, I, I don't really see the ROI on this. The juice really just isn't worth the squeeze to uh, get involved in a lawsuit, which ultimately will really just play into the hand of Elizabeth Warren and those that really don't like the industry. You know, at the end of the day, Elizabeth Warren wants to paint us as wild, wild west, non-transparent people that are not willing or able to participate in the uh, sort of normal operations of the, of the legal process. And so by creating a lawsuit where we say, hell no, we're not going to share our information with you. You can't, you can't get it from us. I think just really ultimately plays into her hand and, and, really sort of just shows that we, to the public, that we seem to be non-transparent. When, in fact, Satoshi Action and many others in the mining space have been fighting for transparency for a very, very long time. We, we go as far as to say that we actually wish they would ask more questions. We wish there would be more transparency. Because at the end of the day, when you are fully transparent around Bitcoin mining, you will realize that this industry has so much to give to the electrical infrastructure in this country Bitcoin miners in Texas during the winter storm Elliott gave back 1,500 megawatts of power to the grid during that emergency when everybody else was using more electricity when they were trying to keep their families warm. Bitcoin miners wound down 1,500 megawatts of power, delivered it back to the grid, which is a non-trivial amount of power. 1,500 megawatts of power is enough power to heat 1.5 million small homes. 
it's enough power to energize 300 large hospitals. But the problem is that Washington, D.C. isn't asking those questions. Washington, D.C. isn't saying, hey, you know, how many hours of curtailment are you involved with? How many hours of, of negative power pricing are you buying up in West Texas where wind is sort of overproducing energy? These are the questions that we really fundamentally need to be asked in the Bitcoin space. And so we won't be opposing, although we sort of fundamentally oppose the idea of an emergency order, we aren't opposing the idea of, of getting this information out there. Also, just to keep in mind, you know, we run around as Bitcoin miners and we say Bitcoin mining is energy infrastructure. It's, it's going to be a part of the grid. It's a big deal. Well, just take a look around and you'll see that every single energy asset in this country goes through this same process. Go look at the data. You can see that every wind farm, every solar farm, every energy generator, every battery is geolocated in this country. And now, listen, I don't like the idea of, of everything being geolocated and tracked down. I, I sort of prefer there to be a little bit more anonymity, but this is just something that fundamentally all energy companies go through. And so what's the, what is the juice worth the squeeze? I know there are, other, there are others in the space who probably disagree with me, think that we should go to war over this, but we won't be going to war over it at Satoshi Action. Um, we you know we did a space, I hope some folks listen into it. We had our co-founder, Mandy Gunasaker, come up and talk about her experience in Washington, D.C. She was in the Trump administration. She worked at the EPA. And her sort of, her sort of notes were the same as mine, you know, that as an energy regulation guru, that we really don't want to be going to war over this, that we don't like it, that we sort of don't like the idea of this emergency order. But at the old end of the day, fighting it is worse for us um, than complying. And also, it's only 82 companies. This is not every single company in the United States. It's 82 companies, which is probably a very large percentage of the hash rate. But um, yeah, I'll pause there. I just, I just think that it's sort of uh, Dennis not, about the, the hash rate. The, ju before the juice you, before is not you go. the juice is not worth the squeeze on on sort of violently opposing this emergency order. Um, and it's unlikely that we, it's unlikely and probably um, questionable that we would even win if we did so. How much? How much? What is the percentage of the the computing power that is these companies uh, to blockchain as a whole? It's, I, I, I'm I, just trying to see the worst case scenario. I, think, I said, yeah, I don't know. I said I, it's probably a large percentage of the hash rate is what I said, mentioned earlier. Of the total of the to of of all of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. yeah think, about, if you think about every publicly total. traded mining company. Think about all these companies uh, that are mining Bitcoin that are large at scale. I mean, if you put together 82 companies, you probably have a large percentage or at least- What would you, if, if, I, if, 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 I, if I ask, okay, majority of the hash rate, right. Um, Tom, no, it's uh, it's how, estimate, estimated at about 40%, 40% um, I think across the whole of America. But Dennis, what, um, it, as these are all public reporting companies anyway, isn't, isn't what, what data are they actually going to ask for? Because isn't this just an opportunity to give more transparency to investors to kind of analyze these public reporting companies anyway? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's a lot, if you're, especially if you're a public company, you're already reporting a lot of the information um, that they're asking for. So I, I just, again, I, it, it, ultimately for me, there are much bigger fights, much better fights to be engaged in. Um, you know, if they say, let's say they pause, let's say they go, okay, we're not going to do an emergency order. Well, we're just going to do it without an emergency order and do it anyways. I mean, this they're gonna get this information. Fighting over it and fighting over the speed of it is just to me, just doesn't really help us in the long run. It ultimately makes us look like we're non-compliant wild, wild west, which ultimately plays into the hand of those that really don't like this industry. But I, I you know, listen, there are people that really disagree with me and I appreciate their points. Um, you know, I wish them luck. It's just not a fight that we're gonna be engaged in. In fact, we're really just not engaged at sort of in Washington DC in general. 
We ultimately view Washington, D.C. as a hyper-political place to be, and that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining just really is not in a position to win wars in D.C. Um, it's really all defense at the end of the day there. And so we'll, we are hyper-engaged at the state level. We really want to follow the same trajectory as like the cannabis industry. The cannabis industry started in 2010 to change your advocacy approach to the state level. They Instead of trying to fight in Washington, D.C., and that was a successful strategy. Now, uh, as of 2012, there's two states that passed pro-cannabis law. And then, you know, a decade later, you got 75% of the country passing pro-cannabis law. Tom, but they, none of this was done in Washington, D.C. Tom, I appreciate you coming up and thanks for what you do. And I would love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, um, I appreciate you having me. Um, yeah, you know, agree with a lot of things that were said previously. Um, I mentioned this on other uh outlets i mean this this wasn't unexpected last april not sure um, i'm not sure if you could uh, uh improve your mic it's a bit of a, a bit of a feedback uh, can, you, can you hear me any better yeah it's just a bit of feedback not, not sure what it is a very weird one uh, using a bluetooth headset maybe you could disconnect that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm on that ah, cool maybe yeah try to disconnect that. i think it's just having some some issues um in the meantime i'll just go to <laughs> how's that, that better uh, jason good to have you back yeah that's much better go ahead yeah. Hey, so, um, yeah, no, as I've mentioned on other outlets, this, this isn't totally unexpected. Um, you can go back to my Twitter timeline back in May. Um, you had Elizabeth Warren stand there and, and ask point blank to the secretary of energy, secretary Granholm, if they have the authority to, to, uh, file this report and ultimately offer the survey to which she responded. Yes. And they were in armed services hearing. So, you know, this is a bit premeditated, but pre pre planned out. Um, you know, it, it comes into the idea where it's it's within their it's within their legal authority to do things like this. Has it come in at a bit of a publicly um, is it publicly advantageous for the Warrens of the world? Absolutely. We do talk about her a lot, but uh, people kind of lose sight, particularly on the mining and the energy piece. She has no jurisdiction over energy policy. She's not on any energy um, uh, deciding uh, committees. Nor, nor I mean, she has an outsized voice within the administration, but mm. for this particular issue, Tom, sorry, sorry, just uh, there's a big thing I want to, a specific quote I want to get your thoughts on, and, and I'll read out the quote directly from the EIA. Uh, given the emerging and rapidly changing nature of this issue, and because we cannot quantitatively assess the likelihood of public harm, EIA feels a sense of urgency to generate credible data that will provide insight into the unfolding issue. I've asked it earlier, and I'll ask it again. Like, how come it? How common is it for, for there to be emergency orders like this? It's not common. What what I what, how I foresee this is there's not enough uh, generation uh, for bulk power use in the in the country in the world, frankly. Period. And they're kind of looking at us as an industry that they can kind of for for some of their policy mistakes over the past, they can kind of come at us and say here here's a big chunk of, of bulk power being used that maybe we can kind of get out of the way a little. Goes back to the generation problem. Okay. We're about to have so much, uh, you know. We're not even at the tip of the iceberg at the bend of generation we need in this country, and mm -hmm. and and they're starting to pick kind of winners and losers here. And that's where that's where the real argument, the crux lies with this piece is, is uh, you know, there are the real issue here is the information protection piece within the the uh, surveys and things like that. We need to uh, make sure that the information is protected in terms of so they can't use this as a political gain. They're asking for which utilities are buying power off of. Do do the warrants mm -hmm. of the world take that information and start leaning on utilities and say, stop selling to these bulk power purchasers 
because so what do you expect to but what do you expect to the, those regulations to do for the industry so once they get the information what do you expect them to do next and how much of an impact will it have and i think that all depends i, I think it, it goes back to ultimately what comes out of it because there is a good story to tell for it i think there's kind of a, a needle to thread here in terms of we have a lot of great stories to tell let's tell some of these stories it's where does some of these do some of these questions kind of go over that that line of necessary information or proprietary information for these companies give out as we mentioned a lot of these are publicly already information out there mm-hmm. so it, it's yeah. it's it's and, and frankly utilities need this data for for future planning like i said this generation piece this ai is mm-hmm. a lot of data centers a lot of ai is going on board i mean use a recent example in in the energy world they just built an offshore wind project for 800 megawatts we have miners going at 500 megawatts you know etc and even even larger so we have to we have to be be transparent in some some of this work we're doing how we're fitting into this energy ecosystem dennis ron um so uh, yeah love what tom is doing by the way um uh, incredible job by the way tom and i lo- uh, love that you've expanded your um your operations to talking about ai uh, something that's very tangential and and very similar to the str- the struggles that you know bitcoin miners are, are dealing with as well um one thing that I wanted to note on that um, I talked about earlier is the idea around transparency. Um, you know, we we really do want Bitcoin miners to be more transparent, and the skeptics, the people that uh, believe that this industry is doing something wrong, you know, think that I'm just saying that like it's lip service. Um, but it is true, and it is it is fact that we are pushing miners to be more transparent with their data. Um, it's why. Two weeks ago, um, before this news even came out, two weeks ago, we developed a survey for miners to be able to report their curtailment information. Um, that is that is us trying to make sure that Bitcoin miners are able to report how often they are delivering energy back to the grid for the sort of grid to be able to deliver that energy to ratepayers during times of high demand. Whenever there is a lot of demand on the grid, it's really important to know. A lot of a lot of folks always have this question, you know, why why curtailment matters. Whenever there is a lot of demand on the grid and you don't have enough available supply, you have to find where you want to turn power off at or else the grid will collapse. You'll have brownouts, you'll have blackouts. So in order to prevent that from happening, you could do two things. Well, really three things. You can build additional infrastructure like peaker plants, batteries. Both are very expensive. So very expensive, and then you don't really know. Likely very carbon intensive, but you're not. You don't know for sure. And then number three, you can ask people to shut down their power draw. You can ask people to curtail. That is the by far and away the cheapest way to balance the grid, and it is by far and away the most guaranteed for sure way that you will not increase any sort of carbon emissions because by by default you are reducing your power demand, not increasing it. And so. When every time a Bitcoin miner curtails and delivers their energy back to the grid, they are doing something very, very positive. Grid operators love it. And in fact, Bitcoin miners get paid for it. Anyone else can compete to get paid for it. But Bitcoin miners are so good at it that they get paid to do it. So we want miners to report how often they are doing that, be highly transparent with how often they're doing that, and combine that with the energy data that is delivered by the EIA request to show that Bitcoin miners are, in fact, having a very, very positive impact on the price of energy across the entire country. Can, can I disagree with you on that, Benny and, Chance? Is, there, is that possible? Who wants to disagree with me? Yeah, it's, go, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, please yeah, go ahead. It's, it's yeah, Preston Byrne here. 
Um, so one of the so I took a look at the request. It's an emergency budget request, not an emergency data request. So anyone who receives and it's directed at cryptocurrency businesses, not power utilities, meaning that anyone who receives one of these requests is actually fully within their rights to just ignore it. Um, when the government comes calling, you don't have to respond. In all likelihood, these response I can tell you, having you know represented other companies that have responded to data requests from Congress and things like that. Um, given the political nature of the industry, I would actually say it's probably not a good idea to report because it doesn't matter what you know what you say or what happens. What will happen is they'll take, you know, the the the, the folks at the Department of Energy will give that information to Elizabeth Warren, right? Because she's essentially running crypto policy for the White House. She will do some dishonest mathematics on it, and then they'll say, well, this Bitcoin facility in Texas. Cut out. Yeah, so I don't. I, I'll just I'll just respond back. I don't. I feel like it's a little unfair given that he um he didn't finish his point. But just to just go off of some of the points he made there. I mean, listen. I didn't say that it wasn't possible to stop them from getting the information through the emergency order. In fact, I said earlier that it could, it could be possible, and that they could stop it. They could stop the emergency order from happening. But even if you do stop the emergency order from happening, they will just go the go through the usual uh, approach. And get the information eventually. And in fact, if it was such so bad to report this information, then why has every energy producer, every uh, wind farm, every solar farm, I mean, you go look at the data, it's just like endless sheets of, of energy producers, batteries, um, you name it, pieces of electrical, electrical infrastructure that have reported exactly where they are, exactly what their nameplate energy production is, exactly how much of that capacity is being used. Like it's very, very specific data. And so, Ultimately, it's really kind of a battle of like, you know, where do your incentives lie? Maybe Preston, I'm, I'm not sure you're a lawyer. Maybe you, you know, are you know, interested in taking on this case. Like for me, I'm interested in more transparency. I, 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 don't, I get that it, a, a gut instinct that people don't like it. Um, I certainly don't. I would prefer to go through the route of uh, providing this information um, in a way that is a little bit more collaborative, right? Like they are trying to force us really quick. It doesn't feel good. But at the end of the day, more transparency helps this industry because the more transparent you are, the more you can see how valuable Bitcoin mining is for balancing the grid, for mitigating methane emissions, for creating rural jobs. Um, there's a whole host of benefits that need to be explored. And just looking at strict energy data isn't enough. So I think that instead of, at least for us, others are going to fight it. I already know they are. There's a whole battle in the space of, you know, should we, should we not fight it? Go ahead and fight it if you want. But for us at Satoshi Action, we are going to be asking Bitcoin miners to share their curtailment data with us to match alongside that energy data that they're being forced to give. And then what we want to do is combine that all together. We've already had publicly traded mining companies, multiple publicly mining, uh, traded mining companies agree to share this information with us. And so if you are interested in being a part of that survey, you know, feel free to DM me. We aren't sharing it publicly uh, for obvious reasons, but we want to make sure that every miner in the United States that participates in curtailment in the month of January, particularly when there were winter storms, and we know there were curtailments taking place, to reach out so that they can fill out the survey. Yeah, Ron, any uh, just a final quick thoughts on this before we go to Travis and, and William to get uh, uh, anything else we should focus on and their thoughts on the markets? And uh, Ron, other than responding to this, anything else we should pay attention to on the regulatory front? Because the war isn't over. You know, we've, we've got a few wins under our belt, uh, but I think the, the, the war has, is far from over. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll reiterate and say that um, at least when it comes to this proposal, and like, we've kind of seen this play out with Bitcoin mining fights, both at the state and federal level. 
there's a wide variety of other industries involved. Like, for example, New York, like the winery uh, co uh, coalition, you can say like, the wineries are actually the ones uh, among other industries really targeting Bitcoin mining. And again, it came morally down to like, hey, they're using more energy than we think they should be doing. Uh, and again, we've seen this, you know, it's, a, it's very political. We've seen Republicans uh, make the same request to the same agency regarding like marijuana uh, energy usage for growing and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's very, you know, it can get very targeted and also very political. So um, I, I think this fight's going to keep going for a while. But like, I don't think this is, is a red flag by any means in terms of like this is going to be leading to some doomsday tomorrow or anytime soon. But like, this is the start of the process. So uh, and it, it is to Des's point political. Um, and, and anything else to Anything else we should focus on or worry about? Yeah, and at least uh, may not relate to this directly, but Secretary Yellen's going to be in front of the House Financial Services Committee tomorrow, um, as well as Senate Banking on Thursday. Uh, you're going to probably see some conversations a little bit on stable coins. Uh, most conversations, at least talking to folks uh, in both chambers, it seems like it's going to be more on the election and the economy status. Um, but uh, we probably will see some mentions of stable coins. Uh, staff counts and bullets and 121. We've got, we've got, we've got, we've got Trump saying, uh, I was reading it earlier, saying stable coins and AI, I think it was AI, uh, are a big danger or something along those lines. I'm not sure if you've heard that. Uh, I would not be shocked. I mean, there was a bill introduced, what was it, two, last week actually, on the, uh, the energy usage of AI from more progressive senators. Actually, some of them who were on the original letter I talked about with Senator Warren last year that kind of resulted in this uh, proposal that came out last week. So, uh, you know, AI, marijuana, <laughs> energy usage, uh, crypto, Bitcoin mining, like there's a lot of uh, targeted and again, usually political to this point. Yeah. And uh, Travis, I want to go to Powell's interview we were talking about earlier. Um, so I'm not sure if you, I think it was a 60 minutes interview. So he says, he's talking about the US national debt. And he says, we're on an unsustainable path that is growing faster than the economy and we're borrowing from future generations. Um, another reporter quote, I'm going to read out two quotes to you. I have a sense that worry, that this worries you very much. And Powell says, over the long run, of course it does. Um, your thoughts on these comments? I don't think Powell's spoken about the debt uh, at this level before, unless I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I would say it dovetails into my long-term investment thesis for Bitcoin, which is basically that, you know, people talk about the world reserve currency, but the global financial system is a heavily debt-laden financial system. There's turns and turns and turns of debt everywhere you look across the global financial system. U.S. Treasuries are the collateral foundation of this debt-laden global financial system. And just objectively, when you look at U.S. Treasuries as a financial instrument over a multi-decade period looking forward, that is a, a challenged investment thesis. There's, 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 you know, no two ways to think about that. So then when you start thinking about, well, you know, what else could we use other than treasuries as the collateral foundation for the global financial system? You know, what else other than the dollar could we use as the world reserve currency? You know, the, the way I like to frame this is that the U.S. monetary policy uh, is the, the best, you, the, the best monetary policy house on a really shitty monetary policy block. Uh, and that when you look across other nations, that there is nowhere else, uh, uh, there is no other currency, there is no other sovereign debt instrument that you could even take seriously as a competitor to treasuries and to the dollar and in comes Bitcoin. 
and Bitcoin's not there right now, but it's like this moniker of uh, pristine collateral, which is uh, definitely one of my favorite nicknames for Bitcoin. And, and, you know, this is not the kind of thing that happens overnight or over a few years. But I think if you fast forward to the end of this decade and it looks like Bitcoin is kind of directionally making some progress towards chipping away at U.S. treasuries as the collateral foundation for the global financial system, uh, you know, that that's that's that I think that means that Bitcoin's probably in a pretty good spot. And then you fast forward another 10 years to 2040 and, you know, we'll see where it is. William? And maybe I'll add one more thing. Uh, Powell does say there's three rate cuts uh, this year. We expect three rate cuts this year. Yeah, yeah, just quickly to reflect on this. I think the, the key thing that uh, Powell said was that the um, that the U.S. debt has been growing more than uh, the uh, actual uh, growth from the economy. And that's the main thing, really. And obviously, we knew that, but he, he said it uh, more succinctly. Uh, yes, uh, um, it is an opportunity. For we, we need to continue oh, uh, growing the Bitcoin uh, pie uh, before we can claim uh, that Bitcoin is a better system than the one we have right now. I appreciate that. Simon, any final comments? And just for the audience, before uh, before Simon gives us a quick uh, quick comments on this, uh, just make sure you check out the uh, Shark Tank, uh, Crypto's Shark Tank. I've just pinned a tweet above. I tweeted about it today. Um, they're launching TVs. Well, I'm not sure what channel, where they're launching first, but there's a link on their profile. So a quick clip and there's a trailer on their profile as well. Pretty highly anticipated, incredible production. Check them out. Um, me and Ran are there. Uh, Scott, probably next one. Uh, we'll see if he goes in on the next one. Uh, but I think you'll enjoy it. So check out the clip. I've just pinned it above and, and go to their profile as well. Uh, Simon. Yeah, it's obviously um, a pretty alarming comment. So, um, you know, the fact... Has he, made, has, he, has, he, has he made comments like this before? Um, I, I haven't come across comments like, no, like this. Normally it's, uh, you know, you, we've got a tool or it's very conservative. But um, this is certainly, you know, either... Uh, something a little bit irresponsible or something actually admitting something preparing people for stuff so you know we it's a 27 america is a 27 trillion dollar economy on 34 trillion dollars of debt with the as um, william said with those types of stats so you know this is the exponential growth phase of a debt cycle leading into incredible requests for military expenditure and the the you know that everyone's asking for right now. So it's a it is to me a very concerning thing. And if people don't have an alley towards Bitcoin, uh, you know, I, it, particularly given that these ETFs are here right now, um, I think it's a bit of an irresponsible strategy. It's 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 a responsible thing to have an allocation to Bitcoin with all this going on. I, I, just to hop in real fast, it, it was not new news that Powell said that the U.S. You know, fiscal situation is on an unsustainable path. I mean, he's had this little soundbite that he's you know, said periodically for a long time. T taking us from six cuts to three cuts, that was new news. Um, and you know, impressively, you know, risk assets are you know, hanging in fine with that, which, which um, you know, a week ago, the market was 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 expecting six cuts starting in March. He took March off the table last week at the press conference. 
And then he just took us, you know, from six cuts to three cuts and like stuff's hanging in pretty well, I would say. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's impressive. Simon Timmers. I'd say all, all doom aside, uh, jobs and the economy, GDP looks pretty good in the U.S. right now. Of course, that is on the backs of massive quantitative easing, rate suppression, spending and so forth since 2008 for about 14 years. Last year was about the first time that they started tightening. Um, but I, what I wanted to say was I we all know that the debt is a big problem. What not enough people talk about is the fact that federal net outlays, total kind of um, cash out after the tax revenues, uh, that number as a percentage of GDP is actually about half or maybe 65% of what it was at the peak during World War II. And after World War II, what we did was, no, we did not pay the debt off, that's not how things work in the fiat world, unfortunately. But we did grow our way out of it so that the debt, the outlays as a percentage of GDP look pretty manageable. I'll post the chart in the comment section to this. Um, but yeah, it, it is. we know it's a problem. The problem with doomers is they are always early. They've been early for early, 50 exactly. years. Yeah, they've been early for 50 years mm -hmm. since we went off the gold standard. We've been early, early, early about China's uh, economy uh, starting to crack. Uh, early about this, early about pretty much everything. Yes. Simon? Yes, I agree. Yeah, but I, I, I do want to say, yeah, I mean, never bet against the Fed. And you never know how long they can roll over a Ponzi. Um, but do remember that... Um, th this is the cycle of every fiat currency. They last an average of 27 years. There's been 775 of them. Um, the longest standing one was 335 years with the British pound, but that was only because it was backed by silver. As soon as it went off the silver standard, it didn't last more than 100 years. So just, be, uh, just understand that with a fiat currency, you can never pay down debt. Paying down debt destroys the economy. Look what Volcker did when he tried to do that. It always gets reversed. It never works politically because you've got to get the four-year cycle and no one will vote for you. So every single fiat currency goes through this cycle. And what a really extreme thought is, an incredibly extreme thought, is that this will be the first currency that doesn't follow the destiny of every single fiat currency in the history of humankind. Yeah, just going through the comments as well, uh, more people than I expected are pretty concerned about the, uh, the emergency request for information from U.S. Bitcoin mining companies. Sam, um, I think we've covered everything pretty well. Um, uh, Jason, any final quick comments? Because I know you dropped out earlier. No, that's fine. I think actually your guys covered it really, really well, particularly around the Bitcoin mining and energy side, which is a particular interest of mine being a, being a miner involved with the renewable energy side as well. But the only thing I would add quickly is I mentioned at the top of the show uh, about the uh, potential outflow um, from a GBTC. And that just to confirm that, because I was driving at the time, um, that was Genesis Trading filed a motion on Friday asking a judge to approve the sale of 1.6 billion uh, in uh, Bitcoin, ETH and uh, Ethereum Classic in Grayscale's products. Now, that's just an application at this point, but obviously I think about 1.3 billion of that is Bitcoin. Um, and that might be something we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Do, do jump in to give us an update on this and the Craig Wright story. And on the ETF side, I think the net inflows are $1.2 million uh, for last month, I think. But we'll do a deeper dive uh, later this week. But the numbers are looking good.
and we've covered it heavily um, pretty much every day last week. Um, otherwise, I think we've covered all the, the news today. It's not too much going on. Uh, the market's pretty sideways. And, uh, I think the Bitcoin mining story is the most important in the Chinese economy. Uh, we'll probably dig into the Chinese economy and just a bit more macro news later this week. Uh, but at this point, I think we've covered everything. Appreciate the panel. Scott will be back tomorrow, most likely, and Ryan will be back from Dubai um, in the next few days. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow.